Well, today we are wrapping up our series from the book of James. If you've made it to the end with us, congratulations. You have withstood the test of James, the challenging and direct nature in the way that he speaks and calls us to live a different kind of life. I so much appreciate that we have a church uh, that doesn't shy away from texts that are just challenging, that are directly calling us to live a different kind of way. And so thank you for being on the journey with us through the book of James. We've got one last message for you from two simple verses. I think it's going to be a a powerful message. I'm as excited about this message as I have been all of the ones beforehand. So I'm looking forward to, to digging into that. Let's pray and then we'll go ahead and, and jump into the message. God, thank you that your presence is here with us. Thank you for sweet times of worship where we can call on your name and invite you to transform our hearts. I pray that you would speak through me now and that you would highlight the things that you want to be highlighted for our own hearts and for our own journey this morning. We give you permission to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the last few centuries, there have been a variety of things that have happened in our culture that have really affected the way that we do church together. You know, one of those things, probably one of, the, one of the biggest things, I don't know if it's the biggest, but one of the biggest things has been the translation of the Bible. I mean, you just think back to a couple hundred years ago, it was really difficult to, to read the Bible for yourself because it was, it was only in a few languages and it's just been kind of in modern Christianity where we've been able to translate that into our everyday language and, and kick out a lot of different translations. You can have, even now have it on your phone. Right? And it will keep track of what you're reading and continue to invite you to read more. Another thing that's, that's happened in our culture is music has changed, right? And that's absolutely influenced the church. Uh, organs and choirs have largely been replaced with drum kits and electric guitars, right? This has changed the way that we do worship together. Even preachers dress differently than they used to. I don't have to wear a robe and I don't have to wear a collar. I don't have the skinny jeans and the cool t-shirts and the nice glasses yet. Um, actually, someone recently you know, compared my style to very middle-aged dad-ish, um, which is right where I'm at, so that's okay. Now, I, you know, I'm probably never going to ascend to like the apex of cool pastor. Uh, it's just not, not in my DNA but things, these, these are real things, they're changing. But one of the things, as I've studied you know, church history, particularly looked at the last few hundred years, one of the things that's changed how we gather, uh, maybe the most, maybe next to Bible translation, the next most influential thing has been the automobile. Transportation, actually. How we get from one place to another, because you know, years ago, years and years ago, even centuries ago, essentially churches were just located as far as you could walk. Because you had to get from one place to another. You had to get to church in the morning and get back home. And so churches were a lot smaller. They were, they were much more centered around neighborhoods. And so you could literally just turn your corner, walk a few blocks and be at a church. And the beauty of that is you knew everybody in your church. You knew everybody. And if someone didn't show up, you could say, hey, where's this person? And you could literally walk from church to their house, knock on their door and see what's going on doesn't happen anymore. Some of you are like, thank God that doesn't happen anymore, right? Like I need some space. Um, 
But this has changed how we do church. Churches are now bigger because you can drive to churches and you can drive back home. And the way that what that's done for us is it's allowed us to choose church based on preference instead of proximity. You used to not really have a choice. You would just go to the church that you were closest to. It was proximity instead of preference. But now that's, the game has changed a little bit and there's pros and cons to that, right? Like one of the beauties of that is not every church is a perfect fit for every person. And so I think that as we've been able to expand our reach, we've been able to reach people in a better way because there are different churches for different folks. One of the drawbacks though, to that, that kind of reality where, where now you can choose preference over proximity is it's escalated the reality of anonymity inside the church. Right? You can choose a church way, way far away. You can drive a really far distance to get to that church. And you can see people that you only see for an hour, hour and 15 minutes on Sunday and, and then drive all the way back home and never see them again. And this, this sense of anonymity, it, it, it does affect how we do church. It, it can create a, a challenge on how to create space for people to belong and for people to be known. It's one of the reasons why we push small groups in such a dynamic way in our church is because we feel like that's one of the ways that as we grow as a church that we can still stay small and stay in each other's lives. So you can be known and so that, uh, that people can walk with you through the journey. Uh, further, an even further ripple effect of this increase of anonymity is it, it makes it really hard to know when people are starting to walk away from the faith when they're starting to really struggle in their relationship with God, maybe lean away from Christ and lean into the world, it becomes very challenging to know how people are doing in their own hearts and their own journey with Christ because of this anonymity. We don't always know each other and what people are going through. And this has absolutely affected the church as well. It, it, like I said, it, it makes it easy. Sometimes you don't even know people have walked away until they're out of your life. And I bet we've all lived long enough. I bet we've all uh, been in relationships with others long enough that we can all think of at least a few people who've walked away from the faith. Maybe it's your children who've walked away. You raised them up in the faith and then once they were on their own and they had more anonymity, they've walked away. Maybe it's your spouse who's walked away from the faith. Maybe Maybe a high school friend, the very high school friend that actually introduced you to the faith in the first place has now since walked away from the faith. There's a variety of different ways this has played out in our life. And I'm sure if you think about it for a moment, you can think about some of those folks in your own life. And if we slow down enough, if we're vulnerable enough with God and with ourselves this morning, I think we'd also admit that every single one of those hurts. Every single one of those relationships where they've walked away from the faith, it, it pains us, it hurts our heart. And our text for today, the end of James chapter five, verses 19 and 20, this is exactly what James is talking about. This is exactly what he's talking about. Here are, here's our scripture for today. It's just two verses, just two verses, but powerful, powerful verses as James James wraps up chapter five, verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is how James chooses to end 
his letter. This is how James wraps up this entire book, these last two verses. And I think it's worth a quick clarification that we're, we're not necessarily talking about people who have never had faith in this text. There are texts about that. There are texts that are more completely about that. But this particular text is really talking about people who had faith and have wandered away. People who, who used to gather and used to have their life reflecting of Jesus and used to be surrendered to him that have now decided to kind of walk away and live their life in a different type of way. Today, we're talking about the folks in our lives, the folks that we know that used to know the truth and have traded it for something else. And James tells us to fight for them. James tells us to bring them back, to be the kind of church and to be the kind of person that will help them come back to this, un- or to come back to this forgiveness that Christ has for them, to be the church and the type of person that brings them back into unconditional love relationship with God, to fight for these folks that we know that have decided to walk away and this is, a, this is a growing problem right now. There are all kinds of studies being done. There are all kinds of, of researchers looking into why so many people are, are walking away from the faith. And they've come up with a lot of different reasons, a lot of different things that we could press into. But at the bottom line, you have to know this morning that at the bottom line, it just breaks God's heart when people walk away. It breaks his heart when they walk away. God aches to be in relationship with them. It breaks his heart when they walk away. He loves them and God has a radical commitment to showing them his love and pursuing them with the same kind of love that he pursued them with in the first place. His heart breaks for them. And some of us, some of us as we gather, we we need our hearts to break for them too. We need our hearts to break for them too. I know that in this room, there are already some whose hearts are, are already broken. I know this because I know you personally and, I, and I've had conversations with you about the child that's walked away from the faith or about the spouse that's walked away or about the neighbor or the coworker that you've been walking in life with for a number of years that now has decided to walk away. I know this is a real story. I know that you can hardly handle that we're talking about it this morning because your heart is already aching for them. But for some of us, for others, we, we need our hearts to break more. If I can kindly say it, if I can with humility say it this morning, some of us need our hearts to break for the wandering for the first time. Because it's easy to like not think about these things. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying your heart is in a bad place. I'm just saying your heart might not think about those folks very often. Your heart might just ignore some of those pains and ignore some of those challenges because it's easier to think about the holidays or weather or sports. And even when you're in conversation with those folks, it's easier to keep it at the surface level because who really wants to rock the boat? But if you'll allow me to humbly submit to you this morning, I think the message that we read in James, the message that Christ might be calling us to is the message of pursuit, this message of rescuing those who are wandering from the faith. We need to be about this. God is inviting us as a church and individually to be about this. And if that's you, or if that's, you know, you want your heart to break more, then then let me just encourage you with a prayer, a prayer that I know if you commit to praying that God will commit to answering in your life. It's really easy to memorize, put up on the slide behind me. It's simply, God, break my heart for the wandering. 
Take this, write it down, put it in your phone, look at it daily. I promise you, if you commit to praying this prayer, God will commit to answering this prayer in your heart. Your heart will start to break like his does for those who are wandering from the faith. I think it's a good question. I think it's a question that uh, we need to ask. I mean, if we can't ask ourselves these kinds of questions in this kind of space, when can we ask them? Does your heart truly break for the wandering? Does it? Does it really break for the wandering? I love this text in, in the book of James, and I, I've mentioned before, I think I'll actually point it out specifically today, that James really gets his words from Jesus. He really does get his words from Jesus. The, this, this kind of language isn't isolated just to the book of James. Actually, if you flip back to Matthew 18, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. If you just take a look at Matthew 18, this is a familiar text in Matthew 18, one that if you've been in the church for, for some time, you've probably heard before, but I want to read it today because I, I think it might actually shed, shed some light on a new way to look at this passage. Matthew 18, verses 12 to 14, Jesus is speaking, and this is a parable that he shares. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. This is God's heart for the wandering. This is God's heart for the wandering, to leave the 99 and go rescue the one. It's almost like he's saying, there's a hundred here, one walks away, the 99 will be fine. I'm gonna leave the 90, I'm not gonna leave the 99 forever, but I'm gonna step away for a moment to go rescue the one because my heart is breaking for the one. I don't want the one to be lost and wandered forever. I wanna bring them back into the sheepfold. The 99 will be okay. I need to go on a rescue mission. This is God's heart. This is God's heart and we need the same type of heart. And I said, if you've read this text before, you probably have it kind of with familiar language, but the, the nuance that I want to share with you this morning, maybe a new way to read this is, is, well, let me just say, typically when we read this text, we read it as a way to explain about how God's heart cares for everyone and wants to bring people into a new relationship with Jesus. And so we quote how he'll leave the 99 to go get the one. And although that's true, although that's, that's biblical truth, the primary context of this text in Matthew 18, he's talking about a believer who's walked away. I mean, think about it. He, he's got a hundred sheep. He's got a hundred sheep. They're already sheep. And Jesus frequently in the gospels used this metaphor of sheep and shepherd to talk about believers and himself as the shepherd. And so he's actually painting this picture of a hundred people who are already in kind of the family of God and one starts to wander away. One who's already a sheep starts to wander away and the shepherd goes. The shepherd goes to get them and bring them back into the sheepfold, into the, into the family. It's not horribly wrong to read this text in the other way. I, th I think it does help capture the, the fullness of God's heart for those who are, who are far from him. But the original and primary context of this text is actually talking about a hundred sheep and one who's walked away. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting now to see that, especially in connection with James 5, 19 to 20, because the language is, is eerily similar, right? In James 5, 19 and 20, James just straight up says, if someone's wandering away, same language as Matthew 18, if someone wanders away, 
that we need to be the type of person that goes and rescues them, that somehow that reflects the heart of God as we leave our comfort zone and go and rescue somebody that it's reflective of the heart of God. It's participating in what he's doing in the world around us. So let me ask you again, do you have God's heart for the wandering? Do you have God's heart for the wandering? And if you'll allow me, I'd like to I'd like to take it one step further. This is the last week we're teaching James. This is the last, this is the last kind of final hurrah of the, the series of James. So let me channel my inner James this morning. We might ask, do you have God's heart for the wandering? But if we, if we think about how James would say it, he might say it like this. He might say, show me your heart for the wandering. Show me your heart for the wandering. So just a few weeks ago, we talked about faith and works, right? That our, that our faith is useless unless we actually have action, actually step out in faith and partner with Christ. And, and James might be saying to some of us this morning, show me, show me your heart for the wandering. Show it to me. And I don't think it would be right for me to like pick and proke and, and challenge at this without giving you some really practical ways to live this out. Some really like, some just great steps. I think that if you take and you apply them to your life, that you'll begin to see your heart transform and change into the image of Christ, into this image of a rescuer. So there's two things that I wanna share with you, things that I think will be helpful for all of us. First, I wanna encourage you to share your faith, not the faith. If you find yourself in a conversation with somebody who's maybe wandered from the truth, the tendency is that we, we try to get the argument in our head and we try to lay out all of the reasons why they should come back to the Lord. And so we, we, we set out on this quest to prove them and to convince them to come back. But think about your own life. I mean, before you follow Jesus, could any of you, could anyone, could anyone, excuse me, have argued you into the faith? It's probably not gonna happen, Right? I mean, think about my own life before I followed Jesus. I heard arguments all the time. None of them ever landed on my heart. In fact, sometimes they just emboldened me to push back more. So let me encourage you to, to examine your heart, to examine your life with Jesus and learn how to share your faith, not just the faith. Think about what God has done in your life, how he's transformed you over the long haul, but also think about what specifically, what, what is God doing right now in your life to transform you? How are you seeing little things changed and transformed by the power of Christ today? And share those things. Share your faith, not just the faith. Second thing that I would say is, I think we need to stay uncomfortable. If we're gonna really be like Christ and rescue those who are wandering. We need to stay uncomfortable because rescuing is hard. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's actually painful. And, I, and I'm just gonna be really honest and, and really direct, really upfront about this. I, I think there's, this, is a, this is a trend that I've seen in the American church a little bit is that sometimes we have chosen comfort over rescuing. Can I be that bold this morning to say, to say that? I think sometimes we have chosen comfort over rescuing. And I get it, rescuing is hard. Rescuing is painful. Rescuing costs something. It really does. It might mean that you have to give up some of your own time. It might mean that you have to go out for some coffees or go out for some lunches or invite somebody who's, who's going through a painful situation into your home. You might have to go to theirs. 
You might have to take the 1 a.m. phone call, or, or if it's a family member, you might need to let them crash at your house for a little while. Sometimes rescue missions are full of pain, but we need to stay uncomfortable. We need to be willing to risk and step out in faith and stay uncomfortable because their heart is worth some of our discomfort. Their heart is worth some of our discomfort. I think staying uncomfortable also means that we start today. I think it means that we start today. I think the more comfy that we get with this message, the harder it's going to be to start. It's, it, it's, it's, very, it's very similar to actual physics, right? Like once an object is in motion, it's easier to stay in motion. There's, there's a reality of spiritual momentum in your life as well. Once you get going, it's a lot easier to keep it going. And I think if you don't start today, if you don't get uncomfortable today, it's gonna be really easy for Thanksgiving to come around and then Christmas to come around and then New Year's to come around. Next thing you know, it's Valentine's Day. We don't wanna bug people during the love holiday. Let's just keep, right? And then it's spring. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going and we keep pushing pause on it. No, we need to start today. We need to stay uncomfortable. And part of that means starting today. Two things, many, many other things that we could be talking about. I think two things that we need to press into is, is learning how to share your faith, personalize to you what God is doing in your life. And also, being willing to stay uncomfortable in the midst of it, to stay uncomfortable. I'm gonna close with a story. One of my favorite stories from the early church era, it's about a man from the Bible named John. Actually, there's a, there's a lot of guys in the Bible named John, right? Specifically, uh, the apostle John, one of Jesus's disciples, one of my favorite guys in the New Testament. I love his life. I love the books that he wrote in the Bible. He wrote the book of Revelation, which is one of the coolest books in the New Testament. And the apostle John, uh, this story is, it's, it's not actually in the New Testament. It's part of early church history. It's recorded in some early church history books. And the apostle John, he would travel around and he would help elevate different churches in different communities. And specifically, this story comes from one of the churches, churches that he was help build, helping to build up in Smyrna, okay? And so basically what happened was he was there and he was building the church up for, for a, a while. And when it was time for him to move from Smyrna to another church, he called a church meeting, he called a church gathering and he, and he appointed an elder, now the leader of that church. And so he called an elder up and he and kind of in front of the entire church, he said, I am now commissioning this elder to be the leader of this church community. And while he was doing this in front of kind of the church, in front of all of these witnesses, there was a young boy that caught his eye. He was actually a young orphaned boy that caught his eye and, and John just saw God in his life and saw potential in his life. And so he called this boy up as well in front of the entire crowd. Now elder and this young orphan boy looking at each other and he grabs the elder and he says, I am commissioning you right now to not only lead this church, but to care for this boy. Care for his needs, lead him, disciple him. I'm commissioning you to look after this boy. And the elder agreed in front of the entire church that that's what he would do. The apostle John goes off to the next church and the elder takes these words very, very seriously. He starts pouring his life into this boy, 
caring for his needs, discipling him, teaching him about Jesus until ultimately, or eventually I should say, this boy ended up giving his life to Christ. He was baptized in that church community. There's this moment of incredible celebration, but what had happened over time was the elder kind of started to relax in his duties, thinking now that this boy is, is discipled, that God will kind of take care of the rest. But it doesn't really happen that way, right? We need each other. We need, we need community. We need ongoing discipleship. Otherwise, it's easy to slip. It's easy to turn. And that's exactly what happened with this boy as he aged and as he got older, he started making little decisions that were pretty contrary to the word of God, pretty contrary to what the church was doing. And those decisions started to grow momentum until the point where he actually started to walk in a different kind of way and without anybody in any kind of community, anybody rescuing him from the small decisions, those small decisions turned into big decisions. And the next thing you know, he's actually in a gang. Walked away from the church now. But what John saw in him was, was real. He saw leadership in him. He saw potential in him. And those things just were always naturally part of his life. Actually, this, this young boy became the leader of this gang of, of bandits. And they would hide in the mountains on horses. And as travelers would go from city to city, they would kind of descend upon the travelers and they would steal their belongings. They would attack them and they would take things from them. And of course, when that starts to happen, the immorality just begins to escalate to the point where now he's, like I said, the leader of this entire kind of gang bandit type of community. Totally abandoned the church and walked away from God. Well, years later, John, the apostle, comes back to Smyrna to check on the church, to see how it's doing, to see how he can take care of it and bless it. He meets with the elder who he appointed over the entire church, the same elder that he commissioned to take care of this boy. And he said, hey, where's... Where's that young boy? I'm sure he's a, he's a young man by now. Where's he at? I don't, I don't see him part of this community. And when John the apostle asked the elder about this boy, the elder collapsed to his knees and started weeping. It says in the story that he said he's turned his back on the church and he's turned his back on God and he's embraced a life of wickedness. The apostle John started to cry as well. The actual quote, it says, that, uh, it says that he lamented with passion over this boy. He lamented with passion. But he didn't lament for very long because John had a heart for this boy and he wanted to see this boy rescued. And so what something that you would almost see in an action movie, he grabbed a horse and grabbed a guide and said, you ride this horse, I'll ride this horse. And I want you to take me into the mountains and I want you to help me find that gang because I'm not giving up on this boy. And so they loaded up on the horses and they rode into the mountains. And as it, if this isn't crazy enough, it gets even more wild because as they're riding into the mountains, the gang comes down upon them and they encircle John and this guide. They dismount the horses and begin intimidating John and this other guide. And John doesn't skip a beat. He doesn't care about his age. He doesn't care about the dangers. He looks at the gang and he cries out, take me to your leader. Take me to your leader. The gang didn't really know what to do. So they took John to their leader. And as he's walking up this hill and this boy now 
young man leading this gang of bandits. As they walk towards each other, they link eyes again and they recognize one another. And this young man didn't know what to do because here was the guy who brought me into the church that I've turned my back on. The story says that that boy, that young man turned away from John and started running away from him into the mountains. John, again, not caring if he can keep up or not, takes running after him. Takes running after him into the mountains because it doesn't matter how far this young man has turned from God, God's heart is pursuing him. And John is the representative. After a while of running, John cries out, my son, why are you running? My son, why are you running? God still has hope for your life. He will forgive you and I will give my life for you as Christ has given his life for me. And in that moment, the boy collapsed to the ground and started crying. John catches up to him, weeping with him now and puts him back on the horse and they ride down the mountain into the church and he reinstates him into the family of God in front of the entire gathered church. It doesn't matter how far this boy had run from God because God's heart is in hot pursuit on a rescue mission to redeem this young man again. John just got to partner with what God was already doing. John refused to give up on someone's life that God had put right in his own. And this is what the Bible is reminding us. This is what the end of James is telling us. It's, it's telling us to go to seek, to find, and to rescue, to never give up on anybody, no matter how far they've walked from God, because God's pursuit is after them, and he's on a mission to rescue them again, to show them his unconditional love again. There are people, there are people in your life right now that have wandered from the faith. There are people that used to gather here with us. There are people that used to gather in other church communities. They've walked away from the church. They've walked away from Christ. And their faith is either empty or just hanging on to its last shred. And right now, those people need your faith. They need your pursuit. They need your love. They need you to live life on a mission to rescue them in partnership with Christ to transform their heart once again. We need to be a church and we need to be individuals that seek and rescue the wandering because that's what God is doing. He's rescuing those who are wandering. Let's pray.